You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you have your copy of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 4. So why don't you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. And you'll remember that last week we were looking at uh, Paul's clear call to receive Christ as Savior. And then following that in verses 4 and all the way to the end of the chapter, I think that Paul helps us really understand that once we've received Christ, how we're to plug into the body of Christ and to be a functioning member thereof. So we're going to just read some of the highlights here. We'll start in verse 4, go down to verse 13, and then I'm going to skip to verse 26. So let's, let's see what Paul has to say. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, skip down to verse 26. It says, If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Lord, may this passage of scripture that just reminds us of what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. I just ask that this passage of scripture will grab a hold of our hearts today and unite us as one people serving you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I just, this morning, as I was looking at these verses of Scripture, verse 7 jumped off the page at me. It spoke of the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 26, I couldn't get that out of my mind. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. For a moment, let me just share with you some of my thoughts about the vote last week. Obviously, most of you, if not all of you, know that uh, we had 78% vote uh, in the affirmative and roughly 22% voting no. And of course, at any time there, there are no votes in the church, uh, a guy like me, a pastor, a leader, you know, you start, you start asking questions and you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you're doing your best to build bridges to people. I want you to understand that if you were one of those individuals who didn't feel that this was the right direction for the church right now. I I want you to know that my love and respect is is to each and every member. And I think about how something like this, like a vote, uh, could cause us maybe to have some disunity or dissension. People can have very strong opinions about these things. And I want you to know that's okay as long as it's kind of like in the context of, of, okay, unity and love and togetherness. We can be uh, in disagreement about certain points 
but we can agree that the most important thing is moving forward in the gospel. And I just want you to know that that's my heart. My heart is to, is to join us all together and to do our very best to reach our neighbors and the nations. But, but let's, let's think about this for just a moment. Um, a lot has happened in this last year. Um, it's been a, a crazy year for me. And so when it came to uh, this particular issue, the, the remodel, you need to understand that most everything that you saw in those plans was kind of put on my desk day one and said, what are we going to do about this? Because it had been put on hold for a year. Now, I've read a few books on leadership, and one of the things that's pretty consistent is don't do big things in your first year because that's just stupid. Now, that's not exactly what the books say, but that's essentially what they say. So here I was in a position where uh, we had already invested a lot of time and money because to put those plans together, to get those things going, it takes a lot of energy, time, and resources. And I really felt like that I needed to grab a hold of this thing and, and move it forward and finish it, even though it was going to be very early in my time together here as your pastor. So, so that's what we did. But here's where I made a miscalculation. I assumed that everybody kind of knew what the plan was. It had already been kind of built up and everybody was on the same page and it was just a matter of implementing it. I liken it to an old TV dinner. Like when you get a TV dinner, it's frozen solid, but it's all ready to go. You just warm it up a little bit and serve it. And I thought that all I needed to do was warm this thing up a little bit and everybody would be on board and I was wrong. And I want you to know that one of the reasons I think that we had that percentage is because myself, and I'm not blaming anybody else on our staff, but I feel like that we could have done such a better job after the business meeting to really communicate to you this vision. We did not do our part to tell you that story and to explain to you the value uh, of this plan. I want you to know I'm not making any apologies for the plan. I think it's a really good plan, but I am making some apologies about how I've led in this. And uh, I want you to know that that we we will do better moving forward. And in the weeks to come, we're going to try to have uh, some, some different ways that you can connect with this, uh, maybe talk with staff and elders and others, uh, so that we can begin to build consensus and get more on the same page. And we want to do that and really reach out to you. But one of the things that I noticed in this um, th- this last week and the last few weeks is, is that I would talk with people in the church and say, hey, what's kind of going on here? And everybody's like, oh, everybody seems to be doing great. And then, and then to hear 22% no, that, that, that floored me because I hadn't heard like any negatives. Now, this is not an open invitation for you to send me negative emails, okay? But at the same time, you know, we were having conversations and a lot of the issues weren't being brought up. So here's my point. I really want us to know, I want, I want everybody that's a member of Ridgecrest Baptist Church to know that it is okay to have dialogue about these things. It's important that we do so. As a leader, I want to be able to answer questions, but if I don't know the problems, I don't have any answers. I need to know what the questions are. And so um, one thing that we can do is we did have that special called business meeting. There were less people, I think, in the room that night than we have even in this service. So, so there were a lot of people that weren't a part of even that. So I just, I really feel like that the message kind of got lost. There was just too much time there. But, but I'm not saying any of that to be negative this morning. What I'm saying is, is I think this is a wonderful illustration for us and how uh, we can, with different opinions and different ideas, still be united together 
for Christ. We are called to live life together, and our goal and our purpose is so much larger than a, a um, paragon and parking plan. It's so much larger than that. And so I'm just here, felt like it was important to take a minute to say to you, listen, as we move forward, we're going to do so very humbly. Um, we want to do our best to, again, bring people on board, not just with this um, remodeling, that, that's not the, the main thing. The main thing is that we are looking for ways to grow this church for the kingdom of God. And we want to preach the word and we want to serve together. And those are the most important things. And if, if this issue is, is really bothering you, you need to talk with someone. It can't just sit there because it will become a root of bitterness. And that's not what we need. Um, and so I've got some things to say to you from this word uh, of scripture here that I think are, are helpful that will move us forward as we think through not just what's going on like right now at this time in history at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but I think this message is really about what it means to be a part of something, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So let's come back and look at this text. And again, notice that Paul, right after he talks about you being converted, he begins to talk about the various gifts that are in the body of Christ. He goes immediately into a long section, a long dialogue, where he wants to explain kind of what life looks like in the church. Often, Paul incorporates incorporates this, what they call the somatic or the body metaphor, where he has Christ as the head and then each one of us being a part of the body in some shape, form, or fashion. That's what's going on generally in this text. Now, when we think about this, it seems uh, if you were raised in church, being a member of the church is just a natural uh, proposition. You understand that. But many people who were not raised in church they balk at this idea of being a part of a church and church membership. And if you remember, that's really what we're talking about last week and this week is what does it mean to be a member? First, you have to be a believer. But second, you need to plug into a local congregation. And a lot of people in our culture today, I think, struggle with this. And here's, here's my guess. Here's my take on it. When it comes to most everything in your life, it's very much uh, geared toward you. Every bit of marketing that you see on TV or on the internet is very much catered to you. And so we've taken that idea into our spirituality and we begin to think about our, our walk with God in very narrow individualistic terms that we do not see in the scriptures. When you are saved, that is a personal experience between you and God. You receive Christ. But from that moment on, everything we see in the New Testament is exhorting us to connect with the church. In fact, let me put it to you this way. I'll use a, a little illustration here. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity in the Bible. There's not the, the, the roaming, roving uh, guy or gal out there on their mighty steed uh, serving the kingdom all by themselves and they don't need anybody. No, we desperately need one another. And Paul would not have used the body of Christ imagery here if it was possible for you or me to serve the king in some kind of lone ranger fashion. We need to understand that, that our lives in Christ, once we come to know Christ, we are meant to live life together. It is imperative that we adopt God's dream for his people. And listen to this. 
I believe that God's dream for his people is the church. Think about that. When you think about God's dream for your life, you should not be able as a believer to have that dream completely separate from the church. Your, your future, the dream that God has for your life is something that operates in and through the church. That's important. That shows us that we need to take our role in the church very seriously. Now, I'm going to quote a couple times in this message, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And I'll tell you, not everything in this book is exactly to my liking. In fact, if you follow his thesis all the way through, we would all separate, have little churches up in the mountains somewhere and be monks and nuns. I am against that. But anyway, that's not my style. But what he has to say here uh, in this book about Christian community is solid gold. Let me give you an example here as you see it on the screen. Um, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. So, so here's what you need to get. This is the, the key takeaway in, this, in, in, this, uh, in the beginning of this talk, okay? When we think about what it means to be in God's will and how that translates into the ministry that I do, before you're going to be highly effective in ministry, you need to love the people around you well. You need to be good at loving your family. You need to be good at loving your neighbors. You need to be good at loving your community. Love is where it all starts. Life together requires love. It requires the very love of Christ. And you can be the most gifted person in this room, but if you have not love, you have nothing. You are empty. The sounds you make are a gong and a cymbal. As we're going to find out here in uh, chapter 13, we're going to talk about love next week. Um, it's going to be good. But before we can talk about love, we need to talk about the church and our life together as believers. So I'm going to break this down into three basic ideas. First, we see God united in three. The church's unity that I'm going to talk about flows from the Trinity itself. So really, what I'm talking about here today in terms of the practical application of ministry in the church, it all goes back to who God God is as the triune God. The second thing we'll see in the text is the flow of baptism. And how, what I'm going to show you in verses 12 and 13 is, is that yes, we are baptized in the spirit and that baptism uh, in Christ is something that then can flow out into the church and into the community. And the third thing I'm going to talk about in verses 25 and 26 is how we can care for those uh, who are connected. So let's talk for just a moment here about God united in three. When we think about life together, the first image that, that we really need to have in our minds is the Trinity. Now, how do I know this? Well, because Paul sets up the Trinity right here in verses four, five, and six. Did you notice it? But he says, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. Now notice verse five, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And that's in reference to Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. So right there in verse four, you have the Holy Spirit. In verse five, you have the son. And in verse six, you have the heavenly father. 
Now, if you're reading uh, Paul's 13 letters that he uh, wrote to us that are recorded in Holy Scripture, you will notice that many times when Paul's thinking about God, he's almost always thinking in light of the Trinity. You'll see him do this often where he'll say Father, Son, and Spirit, and he'll just kind of rattle it off like it's it's just part of who he is. And I believe that, that that's important for us to get a hold of because here's a guy that was raised a radical monotheist who would have just kind of thought about God in a in, a, in one way, but but here God had opened his mind to the three persons, the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And you'll notice in this passage that, that it's this, um, this idea of a variety of things going on um, in the church. Just like we can think of God and Father, Son, and Spirit, he keeps using that word in those three verses, variety, but he's pointing us to all the different things that are going on in the church. Now, I read to you some of the things that go on in the church, uh, at least as, as, as Paul describes it here in chapter 12, verses 8 and following. He names some things, uh, whether it's uh, uh, the gift of faith or knowledge or wisdom. And then you'll see also a little later in, in verses 28 through 30, he speaks of uh, different kinds of uh, healing and helping and administering, kind, different gifts of tongues. Um, apostles, prophets, teachers. He, he often does this. Now, we could also go to a passage like Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 and see another list. But here's what, here's what I want you to get. Every time Paul begins to give a list of spiritual gifts, it's a little bit different. Now, what is he doing? Is he just going to give us the only way that, that they could serve the church in Corinth and we can serve the church today in Springfield? I don't think so. I don't think he's trying to give an exhaustive list. I think these lists are always representative. They're showing us that, that there are many ways that we can serve the body of Christ. And again, the whole idea here is, is that God has chosen to express who he is in these three ways. And now we need to think about how when Christ is filling us and the power of the Holy Spirit is at work with us and we're being faithful to the Heavenly Father, that, that there's going to be an expression of, of ministry through us. And it's going to be unique. Now, let me just pull a little uh, biology into this, a little biochemistry. Every single one of us in this room, our DNA is completely unique. You are one of a kind. Some of you are truly one of a kind. But biologically speaking, that is absolutely true. And I want you to realize that just as your DNA is one of a kind, I believe your specific gift to the church is likewise one of a kind. I, I, I mean this, if you are, are, if you know in your heart that you're supposed to be a member at Ridgecrest Baptist Church and you are not plugging into the ministry here, we are missing something sweet and important because of your unfaithfulness. Every one of you, none of us have the same gift to offer the church, but all of us have a gift. No one can serve the church quite like you. And I want you to experience the joy. I was talking to a dear friend again last night. And, and one of the things that was so powerful was, as we were talking about it, when you are doing what you were born to do, it's not a job. 
It's not a burden. When you are doing what you were called to do, there is joy and purpose. And I see so many of you, so many people who are faithful to come to worship, faithful in small group, but they don't seem to be really plugged into. They haven't really experienced who they are in Christ. And I believe that God is, is telling us that we need to experience that. There is, notice the word varieties there in verses four through six. It's repeated three times. The word can also mean distribution or difference. It's an idea of so many good things uh, that are out there like gifts, verse four, service, verse five, activities, verse six. You have something special to contribute, but ultimately, I want you to notice in those three verses, four, five, and six, notice the the common word varieties, but also notice the other common word in those three verses, same, same. No matter what your gift is, we are all serving the same God. We all are under his lordship. None of us can get outside of his lordship. Think of it this way. When we're saved, we're covered in the blood. I am covered in the blood of Jesus. So are you. That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. That unites us. Why would we let anything divide us if we were united in the blood? This is how we are able to function. That's how we're able to even disagree when it comes to to the particulars of ministry. Well, I would go this way. Well, I would go that way. But ultimately, we say, whatever we are led to do as a church, we're going to go together because we are under the same Lord and Savior. We want to be unified in him. And, And those who are washed in the blood cannot be at odds all the time. And, and they think that they're both in the right. When there is disunity, when there is an, a, no desire at all at reconciliation, the spirit of Christ is not there. So as we think about this issue, whether we're talking about a vote last week or anything else moving forward, it's not about having a difference of opinion, but we cannot be a cause of disunity. I'm going to put it this way. My prayer for the church is, is that we would view all disunity in the church as absurd. Crickets, huh? Total silence, but hear my heart. That doesn't mean my opinion rules. What that means is, is that if we, brothers and sisters, if a brother and a sister, or two brothers have a difference, and we are really at odds, and we are not willing to have a conversation and get it right, that's absurd. There is no way you can excuse it. There is no way that you can say that that is healthy for your soul or healthy for the souls of the church. If you need something discussed and you bury it down, that is going to become a seed of bitterness that will grow into something very ugly. And so, Hear my heart. I wrote these words a long time ago, a couple of months ago, not, not even thinking about this week. And I want you to know, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried. I'm not upset. Some people have asked me this week, you know, how am I doing? Hey, you know what? I, I'm loving life and just, you know, my, my, I'm living the dream. But I'm fine. I really am. I'm not worried about, about what we're going to do moving forward. But this is, this, the Lord has really impressed on my heart to say to you 
that if you do, if you have uh, something in your heart that is stirred and, and you, you're just not dealing with it, that is not good for the kingdom and that is not good for you. It's okay for there to be diverse gifts and even to a certain extent, different opinions. But we need to be asking ourselves, what is good for the common good? Where, where's my heart at? Am I really, am I able to grow in Christ, to be a part of the body of Christ? We need to be able to say yes. Now let's talk about the flow of baptism, the second point. And there in verse 12, uh, you see that, that Paul again brings into focus how we as a body are one, but we have many parts. Um, Christ is the head. That's what I was talking about a moment ago when I said that we're covered in the blood. Whether you want to use that picture of being covered in the blood, or if you want to use Paul's picture here of Christ being the head, that which guides the body, what we see here is it's all about Christ. Bonhoeffer says this, only in Jesus Christ are we one, and only through him are we bound together. There is no way a church of this size can move in the same direction apart from being bound together by Christ. It's the only way. Otherwise, what's going to happen is, is that we're going to have a thousand different opinions and we're going to try to go a thousand different ways and we're going to accomplish nothing. But what we have to do, and I mean this with sincerity and humility, we have to pray on our knees for God to show us the direction. A river flows in a bed, in a river bed. It, it, it's a channel that's there. And, and, and that's where the water goes. That's where the natural forces take it of gravity, etc. And I believe that a church on its knees will always know the channel it's supposed to be in. I believe that. Um, but we can't just wake up one morning and say, well, this is it. We, we actually pray together and seek together uh, the way forward. And I believe when we look at this passage, and, and again, Paul is speaking of uh, the body of Christ, and he speaks of being baptized into one body. And we know like in the book of Romans, baptism is sort of a picture of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So anytime you see the word baptism, you realize that we're talking about something that was made possible by Jesus and his atoning work on the cross, his death, his resurrection. The, the reason why I believe that Jesus has to serve as our model and be our head in every way as, the, as members of the church is because only Jesus was able to model pure selflessness. His giving of his life for us is the model of how we should deal with one another. So hear this, selfishness has no part in a church filled with people who were delivered from sin by a perfect act of selflessness. If we are ever selfish, in other words, I, my way or the highway in our attitude, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, over the years in watching leaders, many times leaders have that my way or the highway a attitude. Me, nor no one else, whether the, the elders or staff, I, I'm not going to be that kind of leader. I promise you. I, I, I don't believe in, in, in uh, you know, like everything I say is absolutely the final word and perfect. I'm married. I know better than that. I know many times what I say is, is, is going to be corrected and amended. And that's what we all have to do. We come at it, at, at, at it together. But here's the thing. Where we all fail is when we start getting selfish and we start thinking that our opinions matter more than the opinions of those around us. But when we humble our hearts to one another, 
Sometimes we're not moved in what we feel like is right, but other times God begins to move us. And I'll be honest with you and frank with you, there have been many times in my life where I thought I had the way and and I was wrong and, and I had to be humbled through circumstances, through the word, through brothers and sisters who loved me. And I know maybe maybe you've never experienced that, but I want to tell you, it's good for your soul. It's good every once in a while to know that, that um, you need help, that you're not always right. I, we talked about it in staff. If that vote would have gone the other way, we believe in the wisdom of the congregation. We trust the will of, of, the, of, of the people of God. And, and that, that is certain and sure. And we want you to know that. Now, if you look here at the verse, it speaks of being baptized into one body. Now, it speaks of being, in, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And so it's, it, it's a spiritual picture of baptism. But anytime you see that word baptized, I think you're also thinking about the illustration of, of water baptism. And so Paul's using that imagery of baptism. And then he says something interesting. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, there are a number of ways to view what that little uh, ending of that verse means. And I don't, I don't pretend to have the perfect answer. But one of the things that I see from this is, is that when we are baptized in the Spirit, we continue to draw from the Spirit. One of the meanings of this word drink can mean irrigate. And in my mind, what we see here is, is a picture of the body of Christ continually being fed by the Spirit. And, and so I told you a moment ago that the flow of a river goes through a riverbed. That's the channel that's made for it. And I think the church, when we are allowing the Spirit to flow, then what we're allowing is the power of Christ in us that came to us when we were saved and baptized, it flows through us and can make a difference in the world. The human flesh... If you cut off blood to any part of your flesh, it dies off. The continual flow is what brings life. You were saved, yes, by grace. And I believe if you were genuinely saved, you're eternally saved. But I also know that you need a continual flow of the Spirit in your life. And I think in the church, what we see is that, that yes, God has saved you, as 12, 1 through 3 shows us. But the, the Spirit has to flow through you. We don't have a supply problem, but we do have a heart problem. In fact, let me just use this analogy. I think when a church gets itself in trouble, has a heart attack, it happens because the church is sinful in its selfishness, and it staunches the flow of the Spirit. When we are not allowing the flow of the Spirit through I think that's what leads to a heart attack. When there is something blocking the flow of the spirit, the church uh, is missing the nutrients it needs spiritually to grow. And so think about the flow of baptism. If you were saved, amen. But how is the spirit flowing through you? The last point here is in verses 25 and 26 with an emphasis on verse 26, and that is caring for the connected. Most of the people that I've met in churches uh, throughout the years of ministry that I've been in, I've seen that most people that that come to church really do care for people. Uh, Many, many sweet souls in the body of Christ. But let me say this. It's hard to say that you love people, but you're not going to be connected to them. And, and, and I'm going to go a step further. I know that you could probably do a lot of ministry here in the community uh, and never go to a church and do a lot of good things. 
But when you are not connected to the church, there's no one there to really hold you accountable. And you're really outside of the plan, the dream that God has for you. Remember what I said earlier? The dream for your life from God involves the church. And so you can't experience the fullness of the dream unless you are connected. And I believe you really can't care for others until you are connected. The more connected you are, the more you will be able to help. Being at least three hours and now five hours from my parents, as, as I, I think about if a need comes up, that distance makes it hard for me to be there for them. Distance makes it difficult for me to care for those I love. It's the same in church. When you are just coming to worship, but you're not connecting to small group, when you're not connecting to ministry, that lack of connectedness keeps you from caring as you ought to. Why do you need to connect with the church? Well, because if you're really serious about caring for people and loving them well, I can say I love you from long distance, but when you're really hurting, nothing shows that love like an embrace. Coming alongside, caring for your soul. Friends, we need to be a part of the body of Christ because that's how we stay connected and that's how we love one another. Look at verse 26. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. How do they know that? Because they're present. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. How's that possible? Because they're together. Because they're connected. Because they love one another. Because there's a commitment to Christ and his church and a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me say one more thing here as we, as we think about what it means to be connected. Often when I think about being connected, I think about, okay, are you coming to worship? Are you involved in a small group? Are you doing any kind of one-on-one discipleship? Those are kind of hallmarks of what we do here. Well, let me throw one more thing in there. Who are you praying with on a regular basis? One of the things I discovered in going through some church conflict of my own in the last 10 years is you would think that when things are going bad in the church and you say, hey, let's pray about that, that everybody go, oh, let's go pray, but they won't. The spirit, it's, it's, it's interesting. The spirit of the flesh almost immediately says, uh-uh, you're not making me do that. Let me tell you why. Because the devil knows that when people pray together, they love one another better. And when you're not praying together, And then you say, I don't know why. I just don't really have a love for the church. I don't really have love for people like I used to. It's because you're not praying with them. It's because you're not investing time on your knees. You will be able to enjoy good days of sunshine with your brothers and sisters more completely when you've been through storms together and mostly on your knees. Bonhoeffer says this, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. Now, notice this. Bonhoeffer doesn't say that he's not going to deal with that that brother and have to discipline that brother. He doesn't say that, but he says, you know what? I can't condemn or hate them anymore because I've prayed with them. And, And you know, I've never heard an argument break out in a prayer meeting when people were praying. I've heard it in a business meeting, but not in a prayer meeting where people were actually on their knees. I have never heard a fight develop during prayer time. But it always happens, you know, in the little side conversations here and there. Uh, Feelings get hurt. We get, you know, oh, wow, I can't believe they did that. And so I'm just going to avoid them for the rest of my life. Good luck. Because what's going to happen is the Lord's going to make sure that doesn't happen. If he loves you, if you're his, he's not going to let you stay in that rebellion. 
He's going to burden your heart. He's going to break you. You know, when when we're supple and soft, we're bendable. When we're hard and stiff, we're broken. And I just want to encourage you right now, as you think about being connected to people, the only way to really get past the hardships, the hurt. Has someone really hurt you? Maybe. But you remaining in bitterness is only making it worse. I beseech you, as your brother in Christ, to hear the word of the Lord and the wisdom of the saints. The people who have gone before us have shown us that that the power is in prayer. I am firmly convinced that I can spend hours and hours preparing this sermon, which I do, but there is no power in it if I'm not in prayer. We need prayer, brothers and sisters. We want to see the world changed, then we must pray. And I believe that then and only then can we have life together. This passage from 1 Corinthians 12 is not so much about the gifts that we have. It's about the people. Our gifts should never hurt people. God has given you something special to help build up the church. John Marshall, who was uh, and is a great, great friend and mentor to me, one of the great pastors that served in our community for years and years over at Second Baptist. Not too long ago, he put this on his Facebook page. I thought it was worth quoting to you. As Christ followers, loyalty to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is fast becoming one of the main sticking points of our day. And I think what he's seeing there is he's, as he's going around now and preaching in various churches, um, he's seeing that, you know, used to church people really, you know, they were brothers and sisters. You know, you mess with my brother or you mess with my sister, you're messing with me. You know, seeing less and less of that. He says, we must love one another totally, wholeheartedly, with reckless abandon, nothing held back. And notice this, he says, Jesus loves me. And you know that from your nursery rhyme songs, right? Jesus loves me. But here's what's powerful. We should love us too. Over the years, sometimes it was, it was easy for me to love my lost neighbor because down deep in my heart, I kind of knew the way he was acting. Well, that's how lost people act. But it was so hard to love those church people when I knew they knew better. Listen, if, if, if your heart has been broken in the church, get in line. Most of us have had heartbreaking moments in church. The bride is not perfect, but she is still beautiful. And I want you to be a part of the bride of Christ. I want you to be a healthy part, a functioning heart. We need to be experiencing life together. Because if we don't have life together, we'll have death. The church will die. An article came out this week, Pew Research. It was in the, uh, it was in the, the um, oh, goodness gracious, the Wall Street Journal. It's the article I read. And it was talking about how evangelical Christianity is in decline and those who are non-affiliated that claim no religious faith at all is in the increase. Um, The numbers are alarming. And I wonder, you know, what it is that we can do about it. Well, I think it starts by us taking seriously life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of you have shared with me your passion to see lost people come to know Jesus. How will they know the love of Jesus? Well, they'll first know it by our love. And I am, I hope that, that there isn't any edge to what I've said here today. I, don't, I hope you don't hear any bitterness from me. My heart is encouraged about what God is doing at Ridgecrest. 
But I wanted to say these words to you today because I believe that some of what I've said about dissension being absurd, uh, you know, thinking about the selflessness of Christ. And so any selfishness in the church is, is, is uh, absolutely not good. And then also praying together, just these ideas. I know that sounds so simple, but how often are we really meditating on those things? Let's be the church. And let's do our part to be the church. Now, going back to last week, if you, if you want to be a part of this church, first and foremost, you have to receive Christ. But if you are a part of, 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 of Christ, now you need to be faithful and be a part of the church. I hope and pray that, that at Ridgecrest is a church that you can be a member of. And so we're inviting you now to make a decision, whether in the pew or if you will, please come forward. If there, if there is a burden on your heart that's keeping you from this life in Christ together, then lay it on this altar. Ask God to show you the relationships in your life that need to be healed. Let's, let's quit acting like our bitterness isn't making a difference, that, it, that it's our bitterness that's not a big deal. If we have anything like that, we have to give it over to Christ this morning. Be faithful. Give it to Christ. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.